Hello and welcome to the Experiential Education Podcast. This week I'm talking with Glennis Thompson, Deputy Principal of the Australian Science and Mathematics School in Adelaide. Glennis is an educator who started her career as a teacher of maths, physics and chemistry and has dipped in and out of schools for over 30 years. She has held a wide range of roles in schools and was telling me that the only thing she hasn't been is the principal and the cleaner. Having also worked in government organisations, her wealth of experience has been important in helping to build a truly unique school in the Australian Science and Mathematics School. Glennis's dream is for personalised education for all that capitalises on curiosity and confidence, leading to amazing possibilities. But there's a twist. For her, it's all about using an interdisciplinary approach to engage students in the beauty and wonder of the world through the inquiry of real contexts and wicked problems, with the fundamental driver of this being capabilities rather than content knowledge. As Deputy Principal at the Australian Science and Mathematics School, Glennis has lead responsibility for curriculum, university, industry and international partnerships, as well as well-being for learning. Whilst I wanted to broadcast this episode earlier, I did leave it until the last one of the season because this is a truly remarkable and exciting program. It absolutely blew me away. This is the Australian Science and Mathematics School. I'm here today with Glennis Thompson at the Australian Science Mathematics School in Adelaide. Thanks for joining us. Oh, my absolute pleasure. Could you give us a little bit of a background to the school and how you ended up at the school? Sure. So the school was purpose-built as a lighthouse school for maths and science education in the state about 15 years ago. We're in partnership with the university which is based on our same campus, Flinders University, and it's a true partnership because they own the land and the Department of Education in South Australia here, they own the building, so it can't be much more of a partnership than that. The absolute charter of the school is around being a lighthouse school to show how things can be done differently and also we have significant outreach programs which work with people all around our state and indeed um, interstate and overseas around how maths and science education can look quite different. In terms of how I got here, I'm a very old maths and science teacher and I've done lots of different roles. In my role previous to coming here as the deputy, I was working on a program which aimed to upskill and recruit maths and science teachers for our system. And it was through that program that I had a lot to do with this school and it's such a great school that when the deputy's job came up, of course I applied. It's an amazing open plan setup. Could you give us a little bit of a, just a description, how you've set it up, the learning spaces? One of the things people notice when they come to our school is that when you come in the front door, you pretty well walk straight into the school. We don't have a lot of walls. We have some, but not huge numbers. And we don't call anything a classroom. We call it a learning space. And we generally have learning spaces which can hold between 50 and 75 students. And so we have learning planned for that number of students with the right number of teachers, obviously, to go with it. But the big difference in terms of how we organise our learning, really, is that everything's done in teams. So teams of teachers present the curriculum and plan the curriculum for our students. 
and students work in teams within their classrooms and so everything really is done as part of a team. We had a chat also on the way in with a couple of the students who are working together on a project. Are a lot of the subjects collaborative and project based? Absolutely. So we really interweave the capabilities through our curriculum incredibly strongly and in fact we believe the capabilities are way more important than the content. So what we really do is to provide learning opportunities that incorporate the capabilities like creative thinking, communication, collaboration, numeracy, literacy into our learning design so that we can then have our kids undertake the learning in, of the content in ways that will actually help them build those capabilities for further on. I was actually going to ask how do you differ from a standard school? It's just it, two different worlds. How do you find the kids react to that? Because it's a year 10, 11, 12 program. It is. It is. They're coming from standard schools. We are selective, but we're not selective based on academic results. We're selective based on interest. So the kids who come here have been able to demonstrate that they're interested in maths and or science. To be honest, if you were in this school and you weren't, it would be a special kind of hell because maths and science is what we all love and it's what we base everything around. Of course we integrate everything else into that particular curriculum and I'll talk a bit about the interdisciplinary curriculum later. But for our new students, the cultural transmission is a really, really key part of that. So we have some structures in place which really support that. Obviously our year 12s leave at the end of the year and then the year 10s come in for the following year. So we have students for the three years. So we have a very rich pastoral care program and they are vertically grouped pastoral groups but, and which we call learning studies. And within our learning studies, the students have the opportunity to work together a lot. So there's a lot of mentoring by the year 12s. So that's one way that we get this culture transmission. The other way is that we actually don't run year 10 and 11. We run a two year program that we call Central Studies. And the Central Studies is vertically grouped mixed ability groupings of students. So again, the year 11s take a big responsibility in transmitting the positive culture that we have around here. One of the challenges you'll often find is you have monocultures within schools and if you don't fit into that well you're completely outcast but there's a real feel of diversity here. Absolutely. Uh, there's no uniforms which I love. Correct, yep, um, no uniforms. What are other ways do you promote that diversity? I mean there's that's fantastic with the three years all mixed together and not necessarily years as such other than with academic programs. How else do you promote that diversity? So we also are very committed to the diversity of our school. And so we have international students as part of our cohort. You would never pick who the international students were because we do have such a, a culturally diverse student population. But it, we also have celebrations for things like Harmony Day. We really, do everything we can to celebrate and acknowledge the diverse groups within our school. And so what the kids will tell you is that everybody belongs here. I think because you've come here because you like maths and science, doesn't mean yeah. you're actually good at it, but yeah. that is something that the kids do have in common. And from that, and because of, I think, of the way that we have set up the structures and the way that we design our learning, the really positive aspects of diversity just come out and flourish within what we do in our school. 
you do get a feeling when you enter somewhere positive or negative and and I can certainly say it's a really positive vibe Uh, on the other side with staff what sort of qualities are you looking for in a staff member to help facilitate this learning environment in some ways it's the same as what we're looking for in the students to be honest so we're looking for people who have an interest in maths and science you don't need to be good at maths and science but equally for teachers if you weren't interested in it again it would be a special kind of help because it's what we talk about, it's what we frame our curriculum around. So that's a really important thing that people have that curiosity. We also need people who really like to work at the boundaries because pedagogically and structurally, we are very far from the centre in terms of what normally happens in schools. So we call it organised chaos because we're constantly revamping, revisiting, redefining and reorganising how we do things around here, whether that be within a particular central study that we're running or whether that's in something like the way we are running assemblies. We are constantly looking at an improvement agenda. And so really, even though it's a two-year program, nothing ever gets taught exactly the same the next time around because things evolve and things develop. So with those subjects, you mentioned interdisciplinary subjects. Yeah. What, does, what does that mean? What does what? that mean for us? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's one of those terms that's got a million definitions. Yes. But for us, what it means is that we really work from big ideas or wicked problems. So mm. we work from something that's out there and that doesn't actually have clean, neat solutions. So this particular semester, we've got students looking at medical engineering, We've got um, the same students are also looking at the energy equations. What is the best mix of energy? Mm. What should South Australia do for its energy? This time last year when our whole state was cast into darkness, that really started the conversation here very, Mm. very strongly. And we also are running a central study based around having a sustainable future. And we're looking at that not only atmospherically, but also through water through food, so there are different ways that we can look at sustainability. Yeah. So we have these big ideas and that are really rich, really rich learning for the students. We then work as teams to design learning which will support the students to get a grasp and an understanding of the issues that are involved. Through that we interweave all of the different curriculum pieces, so here we teach English, maths, obviously science, and then we have history and philosophy, media studies, we have a range of other subjects that are interwoven through that particular central study. And you're really starting with a social component and then adding in technology. Well, from my perception, it it seems like the social problem is is the key focus and then you're building in that technology. Absolutely. It's not about, oh wow, we've got a great new machine, what can we do with that? Yeah. It's not about that, it's definitely the other way around. What technology will support our students' learning in that particular big issue or problem? That's really good because I've seen some other STEM programs and it's totally the other way. It is that we have fancy, cool machines, we have robots, let's play with robots, rather than we have a problem, how can we use robots to solve that problem? I like that. I really like that approach. A really nice little example is there's a new machine called a Voxon, which produces a three-dimensional hologram. Yeah. And we're one of the first schools around to actually have a Voxon machine. We got the machine, but it's like, where does it 
fit? Where does it mm. work? And to start with, we weren't quite sure until we'd played with it a bit. Yeah. But it's actually proven to be an amazing tool in the medical engineering because it turns out that if you get a scan done now on your knee or your ankle, you can actually get the file, which we can download into the box on, which then recreates that three-dimensionally. You can expand it, you can rotate it. Wow. So it actually has proven to be a fantastic addition to the learning but we didn't design a course around it. Yeah. We worked out how that could support the learning. That's fantastic. I suppose stress testing for engineering. Correct, Correct. Engineering, anything. It yeah. yeah, it's a yeah. really, really amazing opportunity that we have as a school to be able to use that. You also add in some components of the entrepreneurial side of the journey to, to some of the projects. Can you explain how that fits in? So last year, for the first time, we decided after feedback from students and parents and also with some staff push, we decided that we really were slipping behind a little if we didn't really approach innovation through an entrepreneurial lens. Because with the way that everything looks like it might be going in this revolution that we're currently in the middle of, being able to have some entrepreneurial skills is really a critical piece mm. of the skill set, of the capabilities, that really is what we're going to need in going forward. Perhaps not my generation, but definitely for their generation. So we then worked with some partners, including our university partners and some industry partners, to really develop up learning opportunities where students could use their scientific understandings and knowledge, but apply it in entrepreneurial and innovative ways, including marketing, and through that we then had an amazing expo which had four or five hundred people visit it and the um, students developed up these crazy ideas and it was just fantastic it was quite quite remarkable is that going to be a continuous part of the program yes. now so that's part of our two-year program that will run again in semester one 2018 to pick up on those skills though, in semester two, 2017, we've incorporated those skills into medical engineering, which nice. doesn't necessarily sound like a natural, meet, mm. natural match, but we think it is, because if you develop something, you need to be able to promote it and sell it. And so those skills have been picked up for the students who are under, currently undertaking investigations and uh, projects around an area of need that they've identified and that they're trying to solve. Yeah. So for instance, we've got a group of students who are looking at how can we address the issue of low donor numbers through using artificial organs and they've been investigating the spinach heart for instance and so decellularising spinach and then looking at how you could potentially get blood flow through that. Have to remember these are year 11s and 10s, we're not talking about you know PhDs here so some of the stuff we're doing is at that early research level but it's very exciting. That is exciting because you never know what will come of that and sometimes it's just one of those aha moments that is totally random that changes the world like penicillin. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. What was really interesting when we did the concept and create, which is what it was called last year, with the entrepreneurial skills, we actually had some real entrepreneurs come in, you know, people who've actually have made millions and billions of dollars. and. One of them, after he walked around, said, wow, there are three, at least three billion dollar ideas here. Mm. Okay? Now, we're teachers, we're not entrepreneurs, we haven't yeah. gone into business, we don't see that piece. 
but it's so great that the kids have that opportunity to develop. And I guess that's another really important part of this school. We're all learners. On some yeah. things, the kids know way more about it than we do. On other things, we know more. On something else again, neither might know much, so we'll learn it together. But it's yeah. actually about facilitating learning through careful learning design rather than a teacher's expert model. Well, just on that point, what's something interesting that you've learned in the, in the last 12 months? For me, the, the ability to 3D print has been something that for me that I would never ever have done. Even though my background is maths and science, it's not really tech. And so I can now understand and can produce files and design things that can then be 3D printed. What's something cool that you've printed? Um, we got some scans of people and like 3D scans, so you could kind of print your friend. Oh, okay. So that was pretty cool. That's cool. Yeah, yeah I like that. With such an experimental or left of centre type program, there's probably times where kids will fail because they're dealing with something that's totally new and that's untested in the scientific world. How do you as a staff help them move through failure and then recollect their thoughts and, and move on to the next experiment? I talked earlier about our really extended learning studies program and a huge focus of that is around having a growth mindset. Growth mindset is something we talk about a lot here and we're very big fans of Dweck's work in that space. Mm. And falling out of that, the whole notion of productive failure is something that we really, really support and for both our staff and our students. So it's about, you need to take risks. You need to take calculated risks. You won't always be successful. It's only not successful if you don't learn from it. Yeah. That's the way, that's the approach we take. And we take that with our staff and with our students. And what we find is that it gives everybody permission. I guess one of the thing, one of the ways we enact that as a leadership in the school is we work really appreciatively. So we work very much from what's working well and how can we make it better so it's more solutions focused than what's wrong. Often schools will operate in that what's wrong and try and knock people down saying well you didn't get that right that's no good. That but didn't work. Yeah yeah and and I've seen that unfortunately I've seen that so many times well that didn't work I should have done it this way. It was uh, a raft building exercise I remember a little while ago and uh, which is always a challenge for the kids they've got to build a raft and they've got to make it float and they've got to cross a, a body of water one of the kids came up with this cool idea they had these really light water drums that were empty and so what they would do is as soon as you put them in the water they'd tear the raft apart because of the buoyancy and one of the boys said what if i filled it up three quarters with water and changed the uh, the ballast and i said well it's your raft go for it Anyway, one of the other staff who was there, and this is a few years ago, pulled him up and said, what are you doing that for? No, you're not supposed to do it that way. And this kid just stood there, perplexed, going, oh, but this is a solution. And yet, but the problem was they, that somebody was so set in their ways, it had to be done exactly the way that somebody had done it in the past. Absolutely, and I think for a lot of teachers, it is really challenging because for those who've come through, you know, and who are sort of in the 50 plus age band particularly. I think that for us, it was really, really important to be seen as expert mm. and to have control. And 
that actually unfortunately now belongs well and truly in the 20th century, not in the yeah. 21st. The world has moved on and we need to move with it. And what we need to do is really work on our identities as facilitators of learning rather than experts and fonts of knowledge. Mm. So, you know, they talk about the guide on the side rather than the sage on the stage. Yeah. And do you see that as one of the biggest challenges that we're facing in education or are there bigger challenges that we're facing? I think there are many challenges and I think certainly that for some people is a real challenge. I think we have an attention, I guess I'd call it, between what really has been demonstrated to be a great way to learn for the 21st century and a swing towards conservatism in education where everything has to be measured and tested. Mm. And I think we, in the last 15 years, we're valuing what we can measure much more than we're measuring what we actually value. So we get all of these scores from things and we think that they actually are some sort of measure of the school or the kid. Mm. And as often as not, they're actually a measure of something else, like the postcode or how long they've been in Australia. Yeah. They're actually not measures of the school or the kid. But because they're easy to get, we think that they have a particular value. And that can be quite disheartening for students if they're solely focused on whatever metric it could be. Absolutely, yeah. So we, um, as a really lovely thing for this year's Year 12s, for their formal, the whole staff were involved in putting together a video which was titled, You Are Not Your ATAR. And it was yeah. all about the skills that they leave here with. And it was all about the skills that they will take forward into the future. And you know, having said that, we do have something like 98% of our kids go on to uni, but equally we do, when they come to us, they, they really are the ninth to the 99th percentile. We do have a very broad cross-section of abilities mm. based on those standard testing. And to me that kind of shows that maybe some of those tests could potentially be limiting if you put a particular value on them. Yeah, oh absolutely. The last thing I'd love to cover with you, we talked about this before, the self-directed learner. So really, what's, what's your ultimate aim as one of the leaders of a really unique school in terms of self-directed learning? We always say we're on the quest for the self-directed learner and we just see ourselves as being part of that journey for any of the learners in our school. What we really want people to leave here being able to do is to really be able to direct themselves and regulate themselves in their learning. So it's about having that innate motivation, it's about having the skills and the drive, it's about being curious, and it's about having the real thirst for learning. So that's what we're looking for our students to leave here with. We do make a bit of a distinction between the self-directed learner and the self-indulgent learner because this, we'll often have kids who might be working on another s subject during the one that they're in. And when you speak to them, they'll say, oh, no, no, it's okay, Glennis, I'm being self-directed. And we say, <laughs> no, 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 you're being self-indulgent. Yeah. Self-directed doesn't mean choosing to do what you want to do when you want to do it. Self-directed is really a state of mind which allows for that learner agency to be able to really take control of their learning and move it forward in really positive directions. Yeah. 
that really sets them up for years to come. It's a life skill. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity to chat today. Thank you for giving me a tour of the Australian Science and Mathematics School. It really is a unique standout for me and really fun opportunity to, uh, to chat with you. So thank you. Thank you so much for visiting. That was Glenis Thompson, Deputy Principal of the Australian Science and Mathematics School in Adelaide. For more information on the Australian Science and Mathematics School, check out the links in the show notes including a link to the Four Corners episode on future learning. If you're enjoying the podcast, please rate us and leave a nice review. It helps others to find the podcast and helps me to review and improve the show as well. If you'd like to get in touch or want to let me know about an experiential education program you're running, please drop us a line through the website. That concludes season one of the show. I hope you've been able to get some great insights into some amazing techniques to use in your experiential education programs. I'll be back later in the year with another season of experiential education, exploring more wonderful programs and talking to some great educators in this space. Thanks again for listening and thank you very much for your feedback. I really appreciate it. Until then, all the best in everything that you're doing.